Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. We're going to dive into part nine of the series that we've been in called Indestructible Joy. Everybody say Indestructible Joy. All right, how about the rest of you now? Indestructible joy. Indestructible joy. How many of you think that might be something that would be helpful for the journey ahead? Amen? How many of you who've been asking God, trusting God for indestructible joy, have found your joy tested over these last nine weeks? I'm going to put my hand, both hands up on that one. Um, this morning, I want to kind of do a, a, a little something different in part nine. Last week, we had our ordination ceremony and had the incredible privilege of seeing Don Hodge, Jeff Stanley, and, and Jen Dupin ordained, and uh, give them a good hand. I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of them, and... That was a blessing. By the way, they were very touched by the prophetic prayer that happened up here. God was speaking a number of good things there, and I'm thankful for that. And we talked about, we talked about humility last week, humility. Uh, indestructible joy, by the way, means having a joy, having a faith so rooted, so grounded in Jesus that no matter what happens in your life, you continue to trust and praise God, knowing that God in no circumstance has the final word over your life. And last week we looked at the famous passage, the powerful passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read it again together this morning. There's one key concept found in that passage and it would be easily summarized as humility. Uh, we talked about Augustine saying the three most important things necessary for Christian ministry are humility, humility, humility. And um, this morning, I want to kind of look at the flip side of the coin. Because in, in all honesty, I, I, I don't know that we can fully grasp the incredible need every single one of us in this room have for humility unless we really understand pride and its deceptiveness. So this morning, we're going to look at that topic, and we're going to kind of unpack it from Scripture. And I'll just tell you, it's not going to be easy, but it's important. How many of you would rather hear the whole counsel of God and get the whole wisdom of God than just hear things that tickle your ears? Me too, me too. God wants to give us the whole counsel for the long haul for the whole person, right? So that we're learning Scripture, we're learning the ways of God, so that we truly have a biblical worldview. I had a really interesting experience just two weeks ago in Mexico. Tracy and I had the privilege through Harvest Foundation to go to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and a very generous foundation paid our whole way for that trip. While we were there, uh, there were 700 other pastors from all over the United States, 40-some states represented, three countries were represented. Um, our, our, our dear sister church here in this city, Southeast Christian, had over 20-some of their staff there, which several of those are our friends and 
and uh, just thankful to God for them and that incredible church. The president of uh, Harvest Foundation is uh, an incredible gentleman who actually pastors a church not too far from the Louisville area. He's in Palmyra, Indiana, and uh, his name's James, James Henson. And we had met him a couple of years ago, but we didn't get to know him that well. And one day it just so happened that we were sitting together at the beach and, um, and got some time to talk together. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm amazed at just how small the world is. You ever have one of those situations where you're like, oh, you know him? I can't believe you know him. Oh, my gosh. You went there. You did this. I mean, it's, and you're just like, what a small world it is. And we had one of those moments. It wasn't just that. It was also a deeply impacting moment for both my wife and I. But as Brother Henson began to share, he talked about being a part of a large church in the Louisville area for many years. And I, I just asked him, I said, hey, what, do you mind telling me what that church was? He said it was Graceland Baptist Church. And um, as soon as he said that, it just uh, flooded me with all kinds of memories. And so much of my own personal story just interconnects with Graceland, with Valley View, with what God was doing in that day and time called the fullness movement within the Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention. Maybe you'd be familiar with some of this, Brother Burnett. And then, and then James Henson began to mention, I, I just, he had just shared earlier that day in a, in a little meeting we'd had with all the 700 pastors, it wasn't a little meeting, it was a big one. But he had just shared about his call to ministry. And as he's talking, he said, uh, did, you, did you happen to know Dr. Finley Baird? And I said, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. You know Dr. Finley Baird? He's one of my spiritual heroes. He's one of the men that so shaped my, my walk with the Lord that was so instrumental in my life. He said, well, he's the one who spoke those words I shared about this morning in my call to ministry. And he said he was a dear, dear friend. And I said, well, wow, that is, that's really precious that we shared that together, that this incredible man of God. For many years, I've said about Dr. Baird, he's gone to be with the Lord now, that he was perhaps more like Jesus than anyone I had ever met in my life. And sitting down with him early on as a, in, in my late teens, I went through, um, I went through a, a, a series of deliverance prayer sessions with Dr. Baird that were incredibly helpful in my life as I was seeking to grow in the Lord and wanting to overcome so many of the things that were standing in my way and that were challenges and that were besetting sins. And I'll never forget Dr. Baird saying to me, one day looking me in the eye and saying, Jeff, if you can overcome pride in your life, God can do great things through your life. And I think maybe it was the first time I ever thought about that whole issue of pride in my life. I've thought a lot about it since then. I've, um, I've seen it manifest a lot of times since then. And um, it's a battle that I still have to this very day. And I think all of us, I said this last week and I'll say it again today, we all, every one of us struggle with pride 
whether we will admit it or not. And in fact, if you're unwilling to admit it, there's pretty perfect evidence you're struggling with it. Does that, that make any sense at all? <laughs> it's, uh, it's there. And it's... <laughs> Thank you, Siri. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay without you this morning. We're going to listen to the Lord and not to Siri. <clears throat> Where was I? Nothing like a little humiliation to bring a little humility. Uh, that moment stuck with me. That moment stuck with me. And I can think about so many times in my life as a young person and as I was growing and as I was maturing and as I was getting older where God confronted me on this issue of pride, confronted me on this issue of pride, dealt with me on this issue of pride. And it's one I continue to ask him to help me with and to root out of my life. And one I think quite honestly that we so need in the church today in America. There's something going on in the church in America, and um, God's, if there's ever been a time where you can look and say, God's cleaning house, it's now. It's now. <clears throat> the whole thing with Mike Bickle and International House of Prayer has been so devastating. Now, this past week, I don't know how many of you are aware of these, these types of news, but uh, Albert Tate, who has ministered on a number of occasions at Southeast, pastors a megachurch in the Pasadena area of California, who spoke, Pastor Burt, wherever he is, at our, at our um, Global Leadership Summit that we attended this year, Albert Tate spoke. And uh, wow, there's lots going on there. Pray for that church. Pray for him. Pray for the people that have been affected. Um, I, I just, man, we, we got we to gotta get real on this pride issue. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing, nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself or herself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is entirely trusting 
and depending on God in every aspect of life. It's truly knowing, knowing our place as creation and submitting to God as creator, or as Neil Anderson has just succinctly defined it, it's confidence properly placed. Where's your confidence this morning? Where's your security? Where's your trust? Where's your dependence? This morning, we want to just dive in and look at this whole topic of pride and just see what the Bible has to say about this. Because we live in a culture, let me be honest with you, that devalues humility and celebrates pride and arrogance. It's so prevalent in this world that we live in that sometimes, quite honestly, we don't realize that it's getting on us too, that we're, we're being bathed in it and influenced by it, affected by it. It's this root issue of pride. The Bible's been talking about this since the very first chapters. It's, it's been revealing and exposing this, this root sin of pride. Some would say it's the original sin. It's what brought about all of the fall, all of the challenges, all of the problems we face in this world. By the way, I'll just throw this one in for free. You ever thought about the word awesome? It ends in me. Pride's so prevalent. It, it just goes unnoticed and therefore unrepented of in the church. It, it's, it's hidden. It's deceptive. Jonathan Edwards said this, pride's the worst viper. I find it interesting. He uses the analogy of a snake, right? It's the worst viper that's in the heart. It's the most hidden secret and deceptive of all sins. By the way, there's, there's such a thing as false pride also, which is just as destructive and just as deceptive as pride. False pride's that thing that, you know, Woe is me, look at me, you know, I, I, that, that curries attention because it puts yourself down and that kind of thing, kind of the victim mentality. Andrew Murray said, it's pride that made redemption needful. It's from our pride that we need above everything to be redeemed. The church needs to be redeemed from the worst most hidden and secret and deceptive of all sins. We cannot, we cannot, church, allow the world to conform us into its ungodly image. And yet we're like the frog in the kettle. If we're not careful, the heat's being turned up. The issues are getting more clear, if you will. God wants a bride that's going to be pure and holy before him. And for that to happen, one of the root things that will have to be dealt with is this sin of pride. To fully understand humility, we really need to talk about pride. We really need to understand its deceptiveness. It's humility's number one enemy and it's our number one enemy, whether we like to face it or not. Understanding the sinfulness of pride positions us to repent of it and to find healing. Let me say something, and I don't mean to just be funny here today, right? But, but as we talk about this today, don't let your own pride well up and say within yourself, who's he talking to about that? Who's he think he is? Listen, if you spot it, folks, you got it. You know what I'm saying? 
And we're all dealing with it. We all deal with pride. The issue is, what are we going to do about it? Where are we going to turn? Are we going to, in true repentance, come before the Lord and say, God, I repent of my pride and I, I really want to humble myself before you and trust you with all of my heart. When we really understand the dangers of pride, then I think we can start to root it out and walk in true humility before God. But one of the ways we humble ourselves is to ask him to help us see and deal with this deceptive pride. I want to read you a couple of lists because some of you, I I know, I just know how it is in a room like this. Some of you are going, well, I I don't deal with that. That's not something I, I have any issues with. Let me give you some real practicalities. Okay, this first list is a secular list. This is not even a Christian list. This is a secular list. Eight characteristics of proud people. You just listen to it and tell me if if you have to check any of these, okay? And please don't be too proud to check them, okay, in your heart or mind. Uh, They tend to deceive themselves. They don't resolve conflicts. They don't resolve conflicts. Isn't that interesting? They don't apologize when appropriate. They frequently recall and talk about their own achievements and qualities. They have a hard time asking for help. They're unsafe. They need continual social approval. Here's here's another list, 15 subtle signs. Assuming you already know something when someone is teaching. I hope that's not happening right here today as we (laughs) delve into this topic. Number two, seeing yourself as too good to perform certain acts. Number three, being too proud to ask for help. Number four, feeling the need to consistently teach others, instruct others, tell others how they should be doing things. Number five, talking about yourself a lot. Number six, thinking you're better than others who are different than you or less fortunate than you. Number seven, when you disregard the advice of others. Number eight, when you're consistently critical. Number nine, the consistent need for attention and affirmation. Number 10, listen to this one, unable to receive constructive criticism. Number 11, overly obsessed with your physical appearance. Number 12, unwilling to submit to authority. 13, ignoring people's attempt to communicate with you. Number 14, justifying your sin instead of admitting it. And number 15, name dropping. Just to give you a little bit of thought there. Let's dive into what the Bible, let's go, back to the, let's go back to the history of pride. I want to talk about three things this morning quickly. The history of pride, God's hatred of pride, and the horror of pride. The history of pride. This goes on before the world was even created. There's a great battle that occurs in the heavens. Listen to these words. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you're cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Wow. Pride started in the, in the heart of Lucifer, if you will. It starts always in the heart. He, he said these things in the meditation of his heart, if you will. Boy, there's an interesting thing when you start to think about it, that God not only hears the words you speak, he actually hears the thoughts you have, the meditations of your heart. How many of you, when that suddenly becomes a reality, that God hears that? That sobers you a little bit. It sobers me an awful lot. God heard his prideful, silent words meditated on in his heart. By the way, if you let pride have its way in your heart, it'll eventually come out of your mouth, just like Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. Pride started in the heart of Lucifer and gave way to a destructive plan. Pride caused Satan's fall from heaven. Unrepentant pride always, always, always causes a fall. The essence of pride, if you will, is it contends for supremacy with God, and it's ultimately about the glorifying of self. Pride's wrapped up so many ways, but it, it, it has ultimately one goal, and that's self-glorification. The middle letter, and I don't mean to just, but the middle letter of pride is I. Did you notice in this, in this passage I read just a couple of verses here, how many times he says, I, I will ascend, I will exalt, I will sit, I will be like the most high. If we want to get a little more information on the fall of Lucifer, we need to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 28. There's kind of a double word play going on here. This is a prophetic thing, right? This is giving us some insight into uh, this battle that occurred early on, but it's also addressing the king of Tyre who's acting a lot like Lucifer did. But this isn't just about the king of Tyre. You'll see that as we read it. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 19, it says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden right there, by the way. That's how we know it's not just about the king of Tyre, right? He wasn't in Eden in the beginning in creation. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers... I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You've become a horror and shall be no more forever. Wow. What do we glean from that? What, what stands out? There's a lot there, right? Satan had perfection. He had, he had wisdom. He had beauty. He had access to God himself. He had gifting. But it wasn't enough for him. Just let that settle. It wasn't enough for him. You ever deal with that in your own life, in your own heart? How much is enough? That question was asked to one of the Rockefellers, right? How much money is enough? And his classic answer was, and it reveals the pride of the human heart, just one dollar more. When you look at all that, that Satan possessed, that Lucifer possessed, rather than it humbling him, rather than him turning that into gratitude toward God, saying, God, you've been so incredibly good to me, what did he do? He lusted for even more, and iniquity was found in him. It always is. Unrepentant pride is always found and exposed. And there's no hiding place from the father of creation. He hates pride way too much to let it go unnoticed in his children. And that's why it makes the headlines so often. And I'm deeply concerned about the state of the church in America today because I, if, if we don't repent of pride, if we don't repent of all of our sins, if we don't come to the Lord in humility and repentance, listen, the enemy is at work to discredit the church at large in America and cause people to no longer even look to or believe in the church as a place of truth and redemption. Listen, when God corrects us, by the way, it's because he loves us, right? Hebrews says he corrects his sons and daughters out of his love for them. It's proof, by the way, that he's a father to them. He wants to reach down within each and every one of us and get down into the junk and root that out of us. It also says that, that, that Lucifer was involved in the abundance of your trading, the multitude of your peddling. What was he peddling? He was peddling himself to the angels, right, who started it, 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 what started silently in his heart became peddling words of self-promotion and self-glorification. It says he was filled with violence from within. He was filled with just this desire for unjust gain. And he received something he was not worthy of, the adoration of a third of the angels, the worship and glory. He sold himself out for that. And it says, it corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. He forsook wisdom. He forsook doing the right thing to booster his ego by promoting himself to get something that was not his. Look at the ways of the enemy. You might see some things. You might see some things 
in yourself. I see some things in myself. How many of us have been guilty somewhere along the way of promoting ourselves, making ourselves look better, making ourselves look wiser, painting ourselves in a more positive light than perhaps someone else? C.J. Mahaney, who pastors Sovereign Grace Church here in Louisville, says in culture, pursuing greatness looks like this. Individuals motivated by self-interest, self-indulgence, and a false sense of sufficiency pursues selfish ambition for the purpose of self-glorification. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm terrified when I see those things in me or in the church. Pride, pride is right there in the garden, and it's interesting, right, how it connects in with what we're sharing about Lucifer, right? Because he, he starts his ministry, so to speak, right in the garden. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, and he ate. Pride starts right there with the first two human beings. Satan tempts Eve with the very thing, the very thing that caused his fall. Do you see that? Pride, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. You won't have to submit anymore. You can become an independent self, a self-glorifying self. There's no need for depending on God. This This is nothing to do with humility. If God's not going to promote you, then do it yourself. Self-glorification is the root of pride. Mahaney goes on to say in his book, Humility, pride's the essence of all sin. Pride's when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. Andrew Murray in the famous book on humility says, humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. Humility is the root of all good things. Humility trusts God and brings good things into our lives, folks. But we're living in a pride-driven world. This is so much, by the way, of what social media is all about. It's a promotion of our own selves to others. How many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? How many comments did you get? Who saw that post? What did they think of that? Ooh, did you, you know, I'm going to go out and and perfectly craft that perfect selfie so that I look really good to everybody that I'm going to show that to. Are we living to make much of Jesus or are 
we living to make much of us? It's a good checkup, right? So it's the history of pride. Now let's look at God's hatred of pride. We're going to run through this pretty quick just to keep, keep our time here today. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running the evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. It's interesting, isn't it? Those seven are the history and the summary of Satan and what he did to mankind. No wonder God calls them an abomination, a stench in his very nostrils. Proverbs 8.13 says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth a hate have you noticed the strong language, by the way, when God's dealing with pride? He doesn't, he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's not mealy-mouthed about this. He's pretty strong, right? Because this is such a deep problem we all deal with. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Now let's look at the horror of pride. Proverbs 16, 18, the horror of pride, what I mean by that is the destruction that it brings, right? It, it always produces disastrous results in every one of our lives. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen, pride is always a sure neon sign flashing in your light that a fall is getting ready to happen. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty and before honor is humility. James 4, 6, I don't know about you, but I love this verse. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Let me just say it this way, and that. The very thing that in so many ways we are seeking through our pride and our independence from God is the very thing that God is willingly offering to us if we will submit to him. Do you see that? Grace means God's empowering presence where he's moving and working in your life for his glory, to bring about his good plans, to bless you and encourage you and help you. And yet pride is basically saying, nope, I got this. I'll do it on my own. And God's saying, I love you too much to let you go down that road. This, this stuff is what keeps me up at night, guys. Because I, I don't want to fall. I don't want to become a disgrace. I don't want to bring slander on the name of the Lord. I don't want you to hear that Pastor Jeff did something that he shouldn't have done. That he compromised, that he sinned. That's terrifying to me 
And, and I know what some of us will say, right? Well, I could never do anything like that. Listen, that's kind of the height of pride right there. Even when we say that. Listen, every time I hear of a minister falling, I don't rejoice. I never rejoice. My heart is broken. And I think to myself, except for the grace of God, the empowering presence of God, there go I. I'm not above that. I'm not beyond that. I'm not uh, unsusceptible to that. I need God every moment of every day or I'll fall and I'll disgrace myself and I'll disgrace the name of the Lord. It's just that's plain and simple, guys. The moment you start thinking you got it all together and you've got this down and you can do it yourself and you don't need the Lord, that's a dangerous, slippery slope. And I pray, I pray, I pray for those that are in the midst of I'm praying for Albert Tate. I'm praying for Mike Bickle. I'm praying for the, the people who've been hurt, the people who've been abused, the people who have been on the receiving end of whatever their challenges were. And we could go on and on. The list is so long. This past week, uh, Betty asked me to get some books on the bookshelf and I'm going through my books putting my bookshelves on the shelf, right? My books on the bookshelf. I'm a book lover. Anybody here a book lover? I have a hard time letting go of my books. You know what I'm saying? I'm going through my books. Hadn't gone through them in a while. I got books in a lot of places. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I hadn't been through these in a while. And I'm paging through these books, and here's a book by Darren Patrick. Wasn't too long ago, Tracy and I were in a class with Darren Patrick's wife, Amy. Darren Patrick was the pastor of a mega church in the St. Louis area, a network of churches called Journey. And uh, Darren Patrick ended up being um, removed from ministry. And then another ministry took him in to help rehabilitate him. And he ended up taking his life. And I forgot I had his book on my shelf. And then I'm paging through my books, putting them up. And I came upon Mike Bickle's most famous book, Passion for Jesus. It's a great book, by the way. One of the things I think we got to be clear about in the midst of a, a world where God's definitely bringing uh, judgment into his house is that we don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, Mike Bickle started so much of what is the 24-7 prayer movement that's happening all over the world. I'm thankful for that. You, you understand what I'm saying? I won't turn, turn against that just because the founder might have had some faults. I'm kind of glad the book of Psalms made it into the Bible. How about you? The author had some real problems. Let me just tell you.
shared this last week. I'm just going to share it again. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Humility actually leads to promotion and blessing if we can just grasp how important this is. But it comes from the crucifying of our own selves and the uprooting of pride out of ourselves and truly getting to the place where we're dependent upon God. When we see the history of pride, listen, Satan's behind it, he's sourcing it, and he's seducing with it. When we see God's hatred of pride, it's clearly an abomination to him and a stench in his nostrils. When we see the horror of pride, it becomes really clear that it produces destruction, it brings about a fall, and it's considered opposition to God. So we must humbly recognize, repent, and root it out. And here's the good news. God will give you the grace to do that. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to have the the worship team come on back quickly. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning as we close our time together. If you're physically able, sometimes, sometimes... A posture before the Lord is just so vitally important. It represents, if you will, the state of our hearts. I've had so many times in my own life where I just I just know I'm dealing with pride. I, I just I need the Lord to expose it, to root it out. I'm 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 seeking to humble myself, and I just feel the need to fall before him on my knees in repentance and asking him to be my confidence, to be my strength, to be my help. Do you stand with me today? And if at all possible, I understand some of you won't be able to do this, and that's just perfectly fine too. You might just want to sit and and just, you know, just close your eyes and, and pray with us. But if it's possible, would you just take a moment and just get on your knees before the Lord? And by the way, this area up front here is open. You're welcome to come. You can consider this an altar if you want. But I just feel so deeply convicted that we as a church, wherever we have not fully depended upon the Lord, wherever we've allowed even small bits of pride to come in, wherever we as individuals have have not recognized the deceptiveness of pride at work in our own lives, it just there just needs to be together, all of us, individual and corporate repentance, just crying out to God in humility before him, confessing our pride and asking for his fresh grace to be upon us. So Lord, even right now, just as we fall on our knees before you, we just, we just do that, God. Our pride, our pride is, is an abomination to you. It, 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 it smells, it stinks in, in your nostrils. And every one of us deal with it, Lord. Every one of us have been susceptible to it. And it's really about what we're going to do with it. And right now, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Even just getting on our knees, we're just saying, God, we can't do it without you. We're echoing those words of Jesus long ago. Without me, you can do nothing. And it's so true, Lord. Nothing of lasting significance, nothing of eternal value comes through us. It comes through us emptying ourselves that you might flow through us, that you might live through us, that you might work through us. Forgive us, God, of our pride, our independence, our selfishness, 
are esteeming our own selves better than others at times. Forgive us for haughty looks. Forgive us for divisive words. Forgive us for not repairing relationships when we should have and could have. And God, even today, convict us, Lord, if that's, if that's outstanding, if there's someone we need to go to and say, sorry, forgive me, please, I love you. God, if there's reconciliation that needs to happen, Lord, move on our hearts today and don't let us rest until it happens. God, have your way in our hearts today. Have your way in our hearts today. Forgive us, God, of our pride. We want to depend upon you and bring glory and honor to you and to you alone, Jesus. Sanctify your church. Forgive your church. Cleanse your church. Move in your church. God, we're seeing one ministry after another ministry after another ministry exposed, Lord. You, you've said that those things that are done in darkness, they're going to come out and be shouted from the rooftops. Lord, we, we choose to humble ourselves before you. We choose to come in confession. We choose to come and say, forgive us, God. Cleanse us, God. Help us, God. We want to walk in humility before you and we want to glorify you in all things have your way in each of our hearts have your way here in our church may this be a place God where your presence your precious powerful presence would be at work glorifying and magnifying and exalting Jesus in every way have your way in Jesus name Everybody said amen.